This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit like and subscribe, whatever you're listening on. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King. From the Walker Report, Bradley Walker. From Steelers Nation South, Rollo Coughlin. We're joined tonight by an American boxer. He boxed from 1983 to 99. So nice long career there for him. Record 50 wins, 8 losses, 1 draw with 34 knockouts. He's held titles in various weight classes, and uh, these include the WBO, NABO light welterweight, WBA lightweight, and the IBF super featherweight. So we got the world champion here, Tony Lopez. Tony, thank you for joining us. Hey, you're welcome, man. Thank you for having me, buddy. Awesome. Tonight's debate is going to be the greatest match of the 1990s, and, and we've incorporated a couple different weight classes in on this one. And as always, we'll have a Q&A for Tony about his career after the debate, but we're going to start tonight out with Brian. All right, so we got we got 1992 fight Evander Holyfield and Riddick Bowe. Uh, this was a heavyweight championship match with all three belts on the line, the WBC, the WBA, and the IBF. Uh, six foot two and a half inch, 200 uh, five pound Evander Holyfield was a defending undisputed champion. He was also undefeated, 28 0 with 22 KOs heading into this fight. Uh, he had never been knocked down during a fight. Uh, his opponent, the challenger, six foot five, 235 pound Riddick Bowe. Uh, Bowe was also undefeated at 31 0, uh, but the biggest knock on him was he had yet to make it past the 10th round in a fight. So some experts kind of question his stamina. Uh, George Foreman described a difference in statue, a stature of the two men as a St. Bernard versus a junkyard dog. Uh, that was an accurate description of how things unfolded. Uh, Bo hit Holyfield with powerful hooks, jabs, uppercuts, but Holyfield just kept on coming. Early in round 10, Bo stunned Holyfield with a devastating uppercut. Holyfield floundered for over a minute, but somehow kept his feet and recovered. Uh, by the end of the round, Holyfield was actually taking the fight to Bo, and punches were thrown by both men after the bell. In round 11, Bo hit Holyfield so hard that his mouthpiece came flying out, and Holyfield was forced to take a knee. It was the first time Holyfield had technically ever been scored with a knockdown. Uh, near the 11th, Bo hit Holyfield with a power punch uh, while the front of his neck was on the ropes, yet Holyfield somehow managed to answer the bell for round 12. Holyfield knew that he would need a KO to win the bout, and he threw everything he had at Bo, keeping Bo on a defensive, which was very impressive considering how exhausted he was and all the punishment that he had taken. But when this amazing fight finally ended, the scores came in, and there was a new undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, Riddick Bo. It was later named the 1992 Fight of the Year, and Round 10 was named the Round of the Year. So, Tony, we get the title change in this match. I mean, that automatically makes this bigger in people's minds just because of the title change. Plus, it's coming off a guy like Hollyfield. Uh, what were your thoughts on this fight and, and Riddick Bo finally getting that title? You know, in, in actuality, you're asking me. Okay, watch. I, tr I went to, to, uh, to Evander Holyfield's training camp one time. Where we had the same trainer, uh, uh, for uh, weight lifting trainer for a while there. And we were both fighting around the same time, different place, but around the same time. So I had to go to Evander's place and go train over there where he's from. And, you know, I watched him train. And I haven't really seen Evander too, too much before that. But how he trained, his condition, his strength, his everything that he – now, mind you, you got to remember that. Evander Holyfield camp has come from a lower weight division up to the heavyweight division, which is a lot of weight. You know, you come in at 240, 230, 
235, Evander Holyfield, what was Evander Holyfield, especially when he first started? Low 200s? I mean, come yeah. on, you know? So you got you got to put all that in, into perspective. Now, for him to come back and fight like he did with a heavyweight of that size, it's Riddick Bowe is no joke. You know, mm-hmm. Riddick Bowe himself has power. Riddick Bowe himself is a tremendous fighter. He's neither one of them is a, is a slouch. But for me to see Evander Holyfield come up that much in weight and do as well as he did as he did is amazing to me. So if you're talking, if, if I was if I was in Evander's shoes, I wouldn't be too. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be so mad or disappointed in my, in, in, in his actions of, of, during that fight. He did a great job. You know, so there's, I think it was a it was a good fight. You know, and I don't think I've ever seen Evander Holyfield in a bad fight. Now, now let me tell you something about the power of Riddick Bow. Uh, we were training uh, again. I was training with Riddick Bow. Well, not with him, but you know, we're trained both training at Caesars and Lake Tahoe. And he was getting ready for his fight. I was getting ready for mine. And you know, we we kick back and go go to each other training camps. You know, and just check cheer each other on and talk smack. You know, have a good time. Because we were both training for fights. And this one time, this one guy was sparring with Riddick. It was, I was there watching Riddick train. And this one guy, was he was kind of a big buff, big buff dude. You know, had a, all muscles all over popping out of his body. And he kept going, come on, big daddy. Come on, that ain't nothing. You can do that and that. And I'm going, I don't know if he should be doing that, man. That's a champ, man. You know, no one ever does that to the champ in training. You know what I mean? Any right. champ. You know what I mean? That's that's just kind of disrespectful. I, I, I'm in the audience going, I don't know about this dude, man. That's, that's kind of some BS, man. Why, why would you do that, you know? And he kept on doing it. He kept on doing it. And he's talking while he's sparring and saying, come on, that ain't nothing. That ain't nothing. Ain't, no, hit me hard. Come on. And then so he caught Riddick Bow. I think it might have been the second or third. I don't remember. Uh, uh, but he caught Riddick Bow with, with the right hand. And Riddick Bow just like, like, acknowledged it, like, okay. Like, he, he looked at him and thought, like, okay. This guy came in, Riddick Bow lost the right hand that sent his jaw back. He went down, took him straight to the hospital. I mean, it, it, I, I was going, oh my God, he is powerful. You know, I've never seen that before. And I'm going, oh my God, dude, he just destroyed that man's face. You know? And and then and Riddick acted like it was no big deal. So now now factor in the part. Now here's where I come with with all this. Factor in the part that even the Holyfield was a lot smaller guy coming up to fight to fight like that. That's 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 amazing to me. And to take the take the punches that he that he got hit with is another amazing thing to me. I mean, Evan Holyfield is one of them guys that takes shots and takes a licking and keep on ticking. You know what I mean? He's got he's he's that guy. And yep, so you gotta give respect. You gotta give Bo respect for being able to come to protect because again now you're talking let's talk about Rick Bo. Rick Bo's a big boy. He's a big man. You know, you know how hard it is to fight like that for 12 rounds? I, I can tell you how hard it is to fight like that as a little guy. Can you imagine how hard fighting like that as a big guy? Oh, my God. It's, it's, you know, so to get you, they're both. Any, any headweight that, fight, that fights like that, takes punches like that, keeps coming at you, you know, I take my hat off to you both of them. It, 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 you know, it's a flip the coin and you call it. You know what I mean? So that's how, that's how I really feel about that. Well, let, let's stick uh, with Hollyfield here, and uh, let, let's go to uh, Brad. 
Yeah, I have the Tyson Holyfield, the, their first fight. Um, this fight took place on November 9, 1996 at the MGM Grand, MGM Garden in Las Vegas. There was over 17,000 in attendance, thrown by Don King. As a no surprise there. Tyson entered the fight 45-1 and with 39 knockouts. Holyfield was 32-3 and with 23 knockouts. Tyson entered the fight as a 25-1 to odds winner. Tyson and his traditional black trunks, Holyfield, wore purple. This was Tyson's first uh, defending the WBA title that he won a few months prior. So into the fight, Tyson landed two punches in the opening seconds, creating a moment for himself. Holyfield became a defensive fighter for the next two rounds, trying to wear Tyson down. Turning point one of the match in the third round, Mitch Halpern, the referee, stopped the fight to tell the boxers to stop holding each other. Both fighters responded by exchanging blows to one another for the next few rounds. The second turning point in the fight, Holyfield saw something that explained later in an interview that Tyson's left shoulder dips after he jabs, creating an opening for Holyfield to counter. Tyson suffered his first injury with a headbutt from Holyfield that Mitch Halpin ruled as an accident, not intentional. Tyson became weary from it. Holyfield nails him with a left hook to put Tyson down on the canvas. Tyson gets up, and Holyfield responds by being aggressive and trying to take advantage of Tyson being shook, but Tyson is saved by the bell. After a series of exchanging blows, Tyson lunges forward, and both fighters headbutt each other and suffer from it. You can hear Tyson cry out in pain in the audio clips. Tyson becomes exhausted, and Holyfield initiates more of a holding, grabbing style of the boxing for the next two rounds to waste time and frustrate Tyson for the next few rounds. In the closing seconds of the 10th, Holyfield takes advantage of the left shoulder of Tyson again and nails him with a right combo on Tyson's chin. Holyfield catches Tyson in the corner, and Tyson takes a blow after blow, but again is saved by the bell. Round 11 starts as Holyfield charges Tyson. Tyson is continuously backing up after taking a blow after blow from Holyfield, and then Mitch Halpern stops the fight. And that is how it ended. Tony, Evander was always able to elude that uppercut that, that Tyson was famous for, the, the one-punch <coughs> knockouts. Um, but is this fight in general, it was a great fight, and I think people forget about it because it's overshadowed by what happened in the second fight with the ear-biting incident, and people forget how good this fight really was. So your thoughts on it? You know, again, I, I, I don't, I, I've never seen Evander Holyfield in a really bad fight. Uh, I, watch. I, I know like I'm jumping on his back and cheering him on and stuff, but, you know, for Evander to do that, I mean, come on. You know, uh, yeah, I'm cheering for Evander every time because he's, he's done what nobody can do. You know, he come up with a little guy, come up to fight the big boys and hang it and beat. I mean, come on. That, 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 that's so I, you can read a magazine, you can watch a fight, you can do this. But as a fighter, I'm telling you, that's very, very hard to do. You know, you can jump up one, one way class, two way, two way classes. Maybe if you're, and there has been, a few a few fighters do that. Jump more than two weight divisions, and I'm going, I'm taking my hat off. I'm going, hey, man, that's that's hard to do. They're bigger boys, bigger punches. I mean, you know, they're going, oh, well, you're faster. No, because you're gaining weight. You know, you're slowing down. You're not as fast as you was. You know, so that's really hard to do. So even even like and Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson, Evander, you know, I think I just think Evander Holyfield had, he has that, he has that, uh, 
I don't know how to call it. Uh, he has that I don't care attitude. You know, I don't care how hard you hit. I don't care how much you take. I'm going to make you take more. And that's that attitude that puts him over the top for me. So in, in my book, that 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 fight, the first fight with Tyson and, and uh, Evander, hey, man, you know what? I'm going in there thinking, hey, don't sell Evander short. I remember. Don't sell Evander short. You know, he might come, he might come back with something. You know, he, he, hey, if, if I if I had to give a notch, I'd have gave a notch. You know what I mean? But that's kind of how you see, how I see that fight. Because I, I see it from a different aspect from people, you know. I'm not just a fan. I'm a, I'm a fighter. So, and I know what it takes to get up there to, I mean, I suppose the bigger guys. Sometimes the big guys hit really hard. And remember, we're wearing headgears and bigger gloves. But it still hurts, you know. And you just get used to it. So, how, how does he do it with them little gloves that they wear with no headgear? That's amazing to me. You know, so, I don't know. Well, let's move on to Rollo. All right. Meldrick Taylor versus Julio Cesar Chavez. It was built as thunder meets lightning. Um, it was with 68 and 0, Julio Cesar Chavez versus uh, the WBC champ at the time, Meldrick Taylor, who was 24, 0 and 1. Uh, Taylor was compared to Sugar Ray Leonard uh, with his, the way he fought, his style. Chavez was a bruiser, had a strong chin, threw a lot of power. Um, Everybody remembers Chavez, you know, the record, 68-0, fought, fought like 90 fights. But this was probably his biggest uh, chance for a loss in his first 68 uh, bouts. Uh, Melvin Taylor, for the first 10 rounds, dominated this fight. He danced around Chavez, picked him apart, basically had him befuddled. Uh, Chavez wasn't getting any lot of, lot of real good power punches, but he seemed to be... Uh, fighting to wear Taylor down. And that's eventually what happened because in like the eighth round, Taylor wound up throwing 100 punches to Chavez's 30. Um, <clears throat> but the 10th round, the end of the 10th round is where it kind of shifted. You could see that Taylor was wearing down and you could see that he wasn't dancing and he wasn't moving as well as he as he was. Um, and in the 11th round, he was exhausted. He was actually throwing punches and on one of his punches, he missed and fell. Um, so, you know, Chavez's plan, if that was his plan, was wearing, was, was working to perfection. Um, and uh, Taylor, at the end of the 11th round, actually started walking to the wrong corner. That's how tired and, and, and befuddled he was. Um, but it was that 12th round where, where this, is, this is a memorable moment. This is one of the most memorable moments in boxing. Uh, towards the end of the round, 14 seconds left, Chavez hits Taylor with a devastating right and knocks him to the ground. Um, the ref comes over, gives him the standing eight count, and just calls calls the calls about with two seconds to go. All he had to do was waste last two seconds, and he would have handed Chavez his first loss that sixty eight other fighters had couldn't do. So it was a controversial, it was a very controversial call by the ref. But the ref said he didn't answer me when I asked him if he was okay, and if he didn't answer me, I got to make sure that his life is okay. Not just this fight, not just this day, but for the rest of his life. So, great fight. Taylor had it. If he just just lasted two more seconds, he would have been the first person to beat Chavez in his first 68 fights, 69 fights at the time. So, this was a good speed against power match that we had going here. And, and Chavez 
we we don't know if he was doing a rope of dope or what he was doing trying to wear him out but uh what, what were your thoughts on that fight tony and uh you know chavez as a fighter 68 no you couldn't argue with that uh just like Joan said you know what watch i watched that fight three four times different times and i remember it um you know, I'll tell you what, though. Everybody goes, oh, they should never stop the fight. They should never stop the fight. Well, first of all, it's not the referee's job to know how many seconds are left in the round. It's not, that's, he's, that's the last thing he's going to worry about, is how many seconds left are in the, are in the round. His main priority is for the safety of the fighters. Now, right. if, if, if he asked Meldrick and Meldrick did respond, that's good enough for me. Because Okay, watch. Let's look at it this way. Let's put Mike Tyson in there with somebody. Mike Tyson hits him with a hard right right hand. The guy goes down. He's kind of silly, and 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 everybody's going, "Oh my god! Oh my god!" If Tyson hits him, he's going to kill him. Everybody says that, right? So then he's all wobbly, and the referee lets it go. Mike Tyson hits him, and, and he gets really badly injured. Whose fault is it? Now watch this. Let's look at Chavez as the mini Mike Tyson for that division at that time. Remember, Chavez had how many knockouts? A lot. So yeah. well, he was like the mini Mike Tyson. So if he let Chavez come out and hit him one more time, because he was hurt, you know, uh, and he doesn't care how many seconds left in the round. That's not the referee's job. The referee's for the safety of the fighter. So at that point, he just said, if he didn't answer, he said no. So to me, it, it it's kind of sad. And, and, and everybody knows, even including me and everybody else, go, man, Meldrick Taylor had that fight won. It was over. You know, he, he would have gave him his first loss, but it didn't happen that way, you know, because the referee did a great job, and they, yeah, I mean, come on, you're, you're the referee, the whole world is watching this, and you're going to stop that fight, are you really going to stop that fight, dude, you better make sure you're doing it right when you stop that fight, and he did, I, I think as a fighter, he, I, I think he did a good job, I, I, I think it's, I, I think it was, for me, it was kind of like, dang, dude, that, that, that was, you know, but he did his job. That's what, that's what he got paid for. That he, I think he did the right thing to do. And that is a perfect segue into our final fight tonight, the safety and safety issue. And uh, I'm going to be discussing what was billed as sudden impact. February 25th, 1995, Nigel Ben, who's uh, the WBC uh, super middleweight champion versus Gerald McKellen, McClellan, McKellen, two season there. So this fight was a 10-round KO for Ben um, after uh, Gerald was counted counted out down on one knee. So, you know, Gerald was – he was favored to win by Vegas. So this was a bit of a surprise. And before the fight, he, he was quoted as saying, I can't see anything less than a, a vicious knockout. And uh, he was kind of right just in, in the opposite. But so 35 seconds in – and, and we got, you know, Ben was knocked out of the ring, but he recovered. Um, you know, when you're knocked out of the ring, you're given more than that 10 seconds. So he 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 was in back in in time. So the following rounds were, were brutal, though. And uh, so McKell and he struggled to breathe. Rumors was that he told his trainer in the sixth round that he wanted to quit. Um, ben was knocked down again in the eighth round. And in the ninth, Ben is missing punches wildly. Uh, he ends up headbutting McKellen, right? And it, it was rough. It, it was rough to watch. And then a right hand in the 10th from Ben puts McKellen uh, on his knee and the fight's over. Now, 
that's not a lot of details uh, about what ha actually happened in that fight, but I'm going to go on a little more here of what the aftermath was. So McElhinney walks to the corner and he collapses. Ben collapses in the dressing room. So both fighters were immediately taken to the hospital. Uh, McElhinney underwent brain surgery for a blood clot. He was given 50-50 odds to, to even live. He spends two weeks in a coma and was in the hospital for six months. And as a result of this, he ends up being hearing impaired, blind, short-term memory loss, and he's been using a wheelchair for 30 years now. So, um, you know, people have always said, and, and, and Tony just kind of brought this up, why aren't boxing fights more like the ones we see in movies, you know, than taking a just a killer beating and all this? Where the refs, they don't call it, they just they let them fight and, and fighters take these beatings. Well, this is why. This is exactly why they don't do that because of what can happen to these fighters. So this was a bloodbath, uh, unfortunately, and, you know, it's some of the sadder side of, of boxing. But, uh, you know, the two fighters, they did reconcile. Ben did apologize to him, uh, you know, while they were in the hospital and all that. So, I mean, that from that perspective, it, it, it's, it's nice that they were able to, you know, make up and and you can see interviews that they've done 20 years later, 15 years later, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, Tony, the, the, this fight, my opinion, went a little too long. I thought it should have been called a little earlier. I actually have seen it probably four or five times. Um, but uh, what, what are your thoughts on it? Did, did you, do you think maybe the refs should have called it earlier? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure, without a doubt. You know, I, as I, there's a time in that fight where – it's noticeably that it's not going too well, you know. And it, again, it's for the safety of the fighters. You know, you know, no referee wants. To, I, 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 I'm guessing. I'm gonna guess on this part because I, I, I don't referee world title fights, but I, I assume that when you referee a world title fight and it's on TV and the whole world is watching, that you're under that scope of everybody. So no matter what you do, you're gonna do something wrong to half. The fifty percent of people, you can do something right for the other fifty percent of the people, and you know, uh, I did some amateur refereeing. I just did what was what I thought was right as a fighter for the fighters, you know, and that's what I did. So I, I it, it should have been stopped a couple of rounds, uh, a few rounds prior, without a doubt. But hey, you know, I'm not the referee. I, I'm not right on it. You know, that's his job and his call. You know, rather it be good or wrong, or right or wrong to me or you, I don't know because. He sees a different. He sees a different picture inside that ring, just like if you watch a fight on TV or, or if you watch a fight in person, you see a lot better on TV because you see a lot more action. Well, guess what? The referee sees a lot more action than the TV, you know. So uh, that that's you know that's it's 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 a sad thing, but it's, it's it was the referee's choice. That's the choice he has to live with. Yeah. Well, let's move into our vote tonight. Cannot vote for your own. Um, I'm going to start it out. I don't vote first often. So I am uh, I'm a bit torn because the, the Hollyfield fights, there's two of them. So they kind of they kind of split me up on there. But um, I, I really enjoyed the, uh, the Chavez-Taylor fight a lot. Um, I love the contrasting styles of it. And I think that made for a really spectacular fight because of that. It almost kind of reminded me of uh, 
believe it or not, Rocky three fight, the second fight against Clubber Lang, where, you know, he was just trying to wear out Mr. T and doing all the dancing around the ring. But uh, so I'm going to go with Chavez Taylor. Brian? I'm, I'm going to have to agree with you, man. Chavez Taylor was was just really something. And it just the fact that the way everything unfolded, I mean, just to be, you know, two seconds to go and then that's it. He, he just couldn't he couldn't quite hold on. And then Chavez to stay undefeated. I mean, that was just that was amazing. Rallo. I'm going to have to go uh, Bo Holyfield. Brad? I I got to go with, with Rallo's fight. I got to go with that one with you, with what you and Brian voted for. Okay. T -t Tony. Chavez Taylor. All right. So that's four for Chavez. Taylor is the greatest fight of the 90s and a win on Legacy Battle Show. Let's move into our Q&A. Uh, Rollo, you got the win. So you got first question, and then we'll go uh, Brad, Brian, me. Tony, right. so, so you one of, your, one of those fights that we mentioned was you fought Chavez. Uh, yes. They stopped it in the the tenth round. The tenth round, yes, sir. Because you had a cut on your eye. What was yeah. your thought? What was your thought process when it happened? And did you feel like you still could go on in that fight? Um, you know what? It's, it's boxing to me. Okay, to me it was it was BS that they stopped it. It wasn't no blood was getting in my eye. The whole two months I was in Mexico, I told they asked me what's going to happen. I told them, I, hey, I'm going to box for ten. I'm going to knock him out in the last two. Uh, two days before the fight, we're on TV. Chavez talking smack, you know, saying he's what he's going to do, blah, 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 blah. I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to box for 10. I'm going to knock him out in the last two. So we come to the fight night, and, and me and my big mouth. And so come fight night, I, in the second round, he hits me after the bell. I get a little, a little tiny cut under my eye. I think it was two stitches. It was that small. It never got any bigger. Never, blood never got in my eye. In the 10th round, I remember the 10th round. Uh, I'm in the 10th round. I'm going, okay, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm ready to go to war. I'm all pumped up. I'm getting, I'm psyching myself. I'm, I mean, I, I, I'm pumped in that 10th round. Referee stops it, looks at me, calls me over. I'm going, what? Because there was nothing in my eye. I wasn't, I wasn't doing this. I wasn't doing anything. He calls me over. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm about, what, what? I'm, I'm four feet above, off the ground, three feet, four feet off the ground. I stand five foot seven. Someone was ten feet tall, right? Referee never gets on the ring. The uh, the doctor never gets on the ring. It just comes up and looks at me because tells the tells the tells the referee, oh no, it's over, it's over. I tell him, hey, let me finish this round. If I don't knock him out this round, call the fight. I'll never say a word. I'll, I'll leave peacefully. He goes, oh no, 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 it's over, it's over, it's over. I thought, okay, whatever, you know. Um, I don't know, man. It's 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 just a, it, it's that's probably one of the worst disappointing fights of my career. I didn't get to do what I what I went to do, so you know it's kind of like okay, next life, I guess. You know, so I don't know. Go ahead, Brad. Tony, that your your first loss uh, was via disqualification. Uh, was it a referee thing, or was it something that you did in the fight, or something? What 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 happened? How did you get disqualified in in, in your first loss? Um, I was fighting. I was fighting. Uh, I forgot the guy's name. I'm getting old. I was fighting, and uh, I I hit the guy. I, I dropped him with the right hand, and he goes down to one knee. 
okay, and I don't care what anybody says because when your eyes are that sharp, when you're fighting, you're trained to see everything. And I was younger. My eyes were perfect. I mean, Jesus. I mean, I'd drive down the street and see people moving on the side of my face, you know, and, and, and not even paying attention. So you catch everything. What, what I caught him do was when I hit him, he went down. But he didn't go all the way down. His knee, I don't, I'm not sure if his knee hit the camera, canvas or not, but he started He started, He started. coming up. When he, come, when he comes up, I hit him again. And then he went down. But he went down because uh, Jimmy Montoya, who was in his corner, and you can hear him yelling, stay down, stay down. I'm going, oh, here we go. You know, because Jimmy's smart. You know, he, he, he's, a great, he's a great corner man, you know, great tra- trainer, and he knows what to do. Been in the business a million years. And that's how that happened. And so, you know, they came and looked at me. He's holding his head, laying on a canvas. And, you know, so he took the fight from me. So yeah. it is what it is. I'm not going to cry about it yeah. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tony, you, you had a really nice rivalry with Puerto Rican boxer John John Molina. Uh, you two met in the ring three times in about a year and a half span, uh, all with the IBF title on the line. Uh, Molina won once. And you won twice. So what was that rivalry like for you? And, and what was it like going against a high-quality boxer like Molina? Dude, I watch. I hated fighting him. Oh, my God. <laughs> he moves so much. What? If, if you – I'm a fighter. If you stand in front of me, I'll stand there all night long and swing with you. I don't care how big, how hard you hit. I don't care. We'll, we'll stand there and swing. I can do that. But if you start moving me, giving me angles, that gives me problems. You know, now you're going to make me think. Now I got to start thinking. I can't think and fight at the same time. You know what I mean? And that's how he was. Well, that's just the beginning of how he was. Because not only did he move and make me think, but he was slick. He was fast. And he was young. And this guy moved like, he moved like he was like 15 years old. And he hit pretty decent. He hit decently, you know? So, uh, you know, all them, all them, Taking taking all that, put it and put it in front of you. You're like, holy crap! I got a little, I got a little problem on my hands, you know. Uh, the first fight, I thought I, we got a was that a draw? The the first one or what happened? Oh, I won. Huh? I oh, think yeah, you yeah. lost the first no, one. I won. Lost the first one. Huh? I thought you lost the first one. Split decision in the second one. Am I wrong? Okay, no, you might be right. I don't remember. Yeah. So okay, let's say I lost. I no, I, did I lose the first. No, I didn't lose the first one. No, I think no, you no. lost the second one. And then yeah, the the second one. Yeah. But did I win? Right. Did I win the first one or or draw? Yeah, that was I a win. win. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I won the first one. Now the second one. Watch this. It was at that time, and this this is no excuses. It, it's real. It's real. This is the stuff that no one really hears behind the doors in the gyms when, when everybody's trained. This this is one of those. Uh, I was you know because I would I would lose thirty pounds every fight. I'd walk around at one sixty, weighing at one twenty nine three quarters every time. And, but, you know, it was getting kind of hard because I was getting kind of older. And so at that time, even before that fight, we knew that we were going to have to move up to 135 division here real soon. But we were going to squeeze that one more fight in because of the fight, the way it ended, and how we wanted another fight. So we said, okay. Um, but at that time, it was really, really hard to make that weight. So I trained and we're training. Uh, I think four days prior to the weigh-in, I couldn't eat nothing. I couldn't drink anything because that's how we dieted back then. It's not like today where you eat six times a day and blah, blah, blah. We did none of that. And I trained three times a day. 
And when I got to the weigh-ins that day, I weighed 130 and three-quarter pounds. I went back out. I jumped, went to the sauna, uh, put on Abilene, put the plastics on, jumped rope for three hours. <laughs> three hours. <laughs> Came back, got on the scale. And now, mind you, I'm, I'm already dead because I haven't eaten in four days. And I'm already real low in, in weight. And I'm working out three times a day. Now I had to come back and go to sauna for three hours and jump rope. I'm even more dead. So I come back and, and I jump on a scale. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, so I, 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 did, I didn't make the weight. So, so uh, uh, no, that, I'm sorry. That, I got that, that one uh, mixed up. We're talking about the fight with, with, with who now? Um, with, uh, with John, John, John Mulaney. With John John Mulaney. Now the third fight was I'm sorry I got it mixed up. The third fight with Molina, uh, I was already trying to make having trouble making the weight for that second for the second one. For the third mm -hmm. one, it it was uh, yeah I I decided to get my head together and go hey man you know you got to do it you got you got to kill yourself early and eat a little bit more towards the end right. So that's kind of what I was doing and and then um, that third fight, I just prepared myself a little better. Still died in the same way like we always do. But prepared myself a little better. Uh, I was on weight. I came in, no problem. Uh, I think, you know, I always weighed 129, three quarters. Uh, and I can tell you, there's a time in that fight, I think it was like the third or fourth round. I'm looking at the corner, and it's on TV. Uh, it, you can catch it on TV. They caught it. I'm looking over at my corner, and I nod, yes. I just go like this, like that. That's all I do. Because at, at that time, I knew I had him. That there was nothing he was going to do to stop me. I, he wasn't hitting as hard as he was. Or, you know that I, I just got used to it, especially at that first, at that second fight. Um, you know, and I knew at that point in time I had to fight one. You know, I, I, I was going, I was going to go all the way. It was, it was, I was going to finish. I was going to come home a champion. I knew at that time. But he was a <laughs> that he was just fast, sharp. I, I can't say anything bad against uh, you know about him. He's he was a great boxer. You know. Yeah. And uh, sometimes some of the best fights are when you have a good bo a boxer and a good fighter. You know, they make great fights. You know, it's just the two boxers and fighters, always their clashes are always good. You know, one trying to outsmart the other one. You know, and he was good. Take nothing out of him. Well, Brian, you actually stole my question there. That's a good question. <laughs> so, uh, Tony, you, you actually uh, just kind of touched on this a little bit. For another question that I had was, uh, you know, how hard was it to keep weight, and how how does your training differ? Because you were fighting in different weight classes, so how did you train differently to to hit those those different uh, numbers on the scale? Well, you know, I started. I was fighting at one thirty since I was seventeen years old. And it didn't start getting hard. Start getting hard to make. And watch this. I used to walk around at one sixty, trim down to one thirty, and fight like it was nothing, and, and like it was real, like I had all the energy in the world. I don't know how I did it. I don't know how why I did. It. I just because I had to. I obviously. But as as I got older, it got harder. And now, even as a pro, when I first started turn pro, I used to make weight in two weeks. I lose thirty pounds in two weeks. I, I kid you not, lose thirty pounds in two weeks. Because I, I, I knew what I had to do. I wore, I wore the plastic, put on the Abilene. I, I did everything I had to do. I stopped drinking waters. I stopped. I did everything. My doctor told me one time that he goes, you know, you're killing your body. He goes, you're not going to live past 65. And I'm going, well, hey, I'll worry about that when I'm 65. Right now, I got to win fights. 
you know anyway so you know we go we go down and i don't know man it, it's just it was it wasn't that hard to do it, it as i got older it was it, I, you know with the with the when it started with the with the mitchell fight after the after the mitchell fight it got harder and then then we just had to change over so i, I couldn't make it anymore but i did until i was 29 years of age you know and then i moved to one i i actually thought i would have been a better 140 pound fighter because uh, i don't know I, I just felt stronger i felt faster i felt i felt more more uh uh, like I, like I I could I could do this more more than, you know I always felt like I could do this but I had more of it at 140 you know um, the punches didn't hurt um, I just felt a lot better you know Rallo you got the win I'll give you one more and then Brian you can finish this out okay okay Tony you did an interview a couple of years ago where you said that one of the fighters that you wished you would have fought during your career was Azuma Nelson. What about Azuma Nelson made you want to fight him so bad? You know, honestly, there Azuma Nelson, and there was that the 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 the, the white champion. I can't remember his name, so I'm just going to see. He's a white guy. Um, he was a champion too. Rocky Lockridge, Azuma Nelson, and I don't remember his name. I wanted to fight both of them. Azuma Nelson, I wanted to fight second after Lockridge. And what happened was I had to do a re I didn't think about the rematch with Lockridge, so that kind of put it way off, and he retired before I got to him. But the reason why I wanted to fight a Zuma Nelson watch, anytime, this is how different boxing is now. Yeah, I feel today boxers want to fight fighters because they, they think they can beat them or they know they can beat them or, or, or you know, that's that's been an easy fight for me. I took that fight because I wanted to fight with a Zuma Nelson because I'm going – <laughs> that'll be a damn good fight you know because i'm not saying i would have been I'm, I'm telling you i'm not saying i would have beat it what i'm telling you is it'd have been a damn good fight you know it have been one it would have been one for the ages because he don't move back and neither do i and uh you know it, it was just i i i was young I, I wanted that type of fight i i want i want to put it all out every fight i fought i, I try to put it all out there you know and i just think his styles our styles together would have made a, a, a it would have made a tremendous fight. It'd have been crazy. Uh, when does a draw? It'd have been a great fight, you know. Well, one one hell of a fight that did happen was your title match against uh, Rocky Lockridge. Uh, it was actually named the fight of the year for 1988 by Ring Magazine. Uh, so, what did it mean for you to to win that uh, IBF Super Featherweight World Title that night? And and what was that fight like? You know, uh, Rocky was Rocky was a tough dude, man. You know, um, he, he hit good, he hit hard. Uh, but you know what? See what what people don't realize uh, is that you know, although you know I, I'm 130 pounders, I started sparring with with guys at 160, 170. And you know, when you spar, sometimes it's sparring, but most times, guess what? It's a fight. You know, even if they are your teammates, you're you're surviving. And, you know, they're banging on you just like you're banging on them. So you can kind of get used to that, you know. Uh, I, I was I was, uh, uh, I was, was used to pushing big guys around. Uh, Lockers are strong. Uh, he, he was a strong guy. Uh, but, you know, uh, to me, he was he was strong, but he wasn't impossible. I'd move you too. That's like he moved some fighters. I can move him too, you know, because I was used to moving big fighters in the gym. You know, and, and I think that was an advantage to me. Um, uh, and what, 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 what a lot of people don't know is that 
remember Bob Chacon, uh, the, the lightweight champion back in the day? Uh, okay. Bobby Chacon, last three years of his career was my first three of my career. And guess mm. what? I was his main sparring partner for three years. And that oh, dude wow. booked my butt so much that I would come home with lumps and bruises. I'm serious, on the back side of my head, on the front side of my head. One time, it, it was so bad, my face was so jacked up that I had to wear the mask, you know, the, the bar right here in the middle. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, they put a, because I was the only sparring partner he had, so they had to put a, a, the mask on me, and, and I had to keep sparring. And I remember one time we were sparring, and, there, and, and Will was putting on a headgear on me, but it's because it's a heavy headgear, and it was hurting my head. My whole head was sore. And, and uh, he was putting it on. I'm going, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> you know, put it on the corner. And I happened to look over while Will was tied it down. And Bobby looked at me. And he's punching down like he always does. The ground like this, kicking his feet out. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and uh, I'm not going to lose you here. And uh, I, he kept punching down, kicking his feet out. I looked at him. And I see him do this. And I took it as an insult because I was young. I took it as an insult. So I told myself that day. I go, I'm going to keep coming back to this damn gym. And, and I now, here's how my day went. I get up at 4 in the morning. I go run. I live on my own. I go at 4 in the morning, go run, come home, make my lunch, go work at a, at a brick company, tossing brick around all day long. Come go from that gym, from that, I get up at 2.30, go met Will Edgington at 3 o'clock at, at the park. We'd take his car to Orville every single day. Orville's about, what, an hour, hour 15 from SAC. We train in his backyard. Come home, I'd get home about nine, ten o'clock sometimes that night. Get up the next morning, do it, do it again. For a whole year we did that. The second time got a little better. We started training in Yuba City. The third year was even better than that. We trained in Sacramento. And I, and let me tell you something. I never I never got to beat him up like he beat me up the first year. The second year, Will Edgington would say some days would say, Okay, take it easy on him. And I thought to you, I ain't taking it easy on him. He never took it easy on me, and neither am I. So we went, we went to war. The third year, uh, you know, there was a lot of times that you could, you could see it, that, that, that he was going down. And uh, Will would tell me, hey, man, okay, you know, today, take it easy on him. He's, you know, he's older now. And I, the bell rang, guess what? Nope. Boom. And we'd go to war. And that man never took a step back. He never took a step back, you know. And that's why I trained him. You know, so now you, you get me. Uh, now he was a what, a two-time world champion, and I'm what, oh, oh, and oh, and I'm coming up through 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 the ranks like him. You, you got, I mean, that's more education than a man can ever ask for. You know, yeah. that's education in all types of ways. How, how hard they're going to hit, how they're going to move, how the punches came from all kinds of ways. It was it was it was amazing sparring with him. I just, you know, I just had a, I just, it was call it luck, call, call it whatever you want to call it, but you know, I was lucky enough. To be his sparring partner, you know, and um, it, it was great training for me, you know, and that's what put I think that's what put me over the over the top on a lot of these opponents, you know. Right, right. Hmm. You know, awesome. Well, thank you, Tony Lopez, for joining us tonight. Appreciate you coming on. Hey, man, thank you guys, man. I appreciate you guys. You guys get awesome. out of trouble, though, man. You know what they say in boxing, right? Hands up, chin down, butt off the canvas, and you'll be all right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All Remind right, everybody, hit that like and subscribe button. We'll see you all next time, everyone. Have a great night.